I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is a friend. We met having Turkish dinner and she spoke about her passion and work and it blew me away. It's uh, it's actually quite an inspiring story of someone who decides to leave something very, very good to follow their dream. Sarah Simmons is a conscious innovator. She's an impact entrepreneur and a speaker focused on the topic of we don't need more, we need meaning. I think I got your attention already. Sarah consults with clients, leaders of industry and entrepreneurs, and with the media on how leaders can pivot to live and do business consciously, driven by impact and the innovations of the new direct digital age. Her focus has always been in the fashion industry, But of course, entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship. So any leader, any business person can do business consciously. Personally, she pivoted from being one of the world's top buyers in a luxury fashion brand for Harvey Nichols to creating the world's first sustainable denim brand with a whole reinvention of the innovation. I hope I'll manage to get her to tell you the story, which won awards and gained celebrity following in less than 12 months after launch. And now all of her focus is to help leaders unlock that hero product within themselves and their businesses and stand for something meaningful in a crowded world that is built around consumerism and profit. Sarah, we met as friends, right, through Shelly. Shelly introduced us and, you know, we had that incredible Turkish dinner together and you spoke about your journey, which is very different than others. So I'd love for you to introduce you to my listeners, okay? In the introduction, I spoke a little bit about being an impact entrepreneur, you know, how you you are a conscious uh, innovator and so on. But let's talk about you first as a person. You had a 15 years journey in business and you did it differently. Tell us a bit about that journey. Well, my journey actually started at seven years old. Oh, My dad was a textile You're 22. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My dad was a textile entrepreneur and he had a, a textile mill in Yorkshire, in England. And he chose in his mill to make really high quality, it was called worsted woolen fabrics, really high quality fabrics for men's suiting. And it was all about craftsmanship. And I saw that he, his teams took these special fabrics across the world, all over the world, and sold them in the Middle East, in India, in Asia, in Europe, globally, because they were such beautiful quality fabrics. And I saw the positive side that what we buy, what we consume can have in how it's made, 
in how it lasts. And I was like, this is amazing. And my mum was a fashion stylist. And so I learned how to choose very unique outfits for her clients. And so I was learning basically business, fashion and textiles from both sides of my family. And I was seeing the positive side that what we buy, what we consume can have in the world. So when I started out, you know, when I was 16, 17 years old, I said, this is my career. I want to work in the fashion industry. I want to have a positive impact. And I had a dream idea to be a international fashion buyer for one of the world's top department stores, which is a store group called Harvey Nichols. That was my dream. That was my goal and intention. And so that was the beginning of my career, age 22. I, by fate, I was working in a bar and I'd set that intention a few years before. I was like, how can I break into the fashion industry? And one of the guys working in that bar was working in the head office of Harvey Nichols. And he said, send me your CV and I will help you to get into the company and give it to human resources. Do you believe in that? Do you believe that? I mean, this is a very specific dream. Like I want to be doing this job for that department and, you know, very specific. And then this guy shows up, right? Asks for your CV. Do you believe in that? Is that something that you found commonly across your path? I absolutely believe in that. You know, I was 22 then, I'm a few years older now. And I think I didn't realize it was happening then. But now, sort of, I'm a very spiritual person. I'm very, I think that really helps in, um, in what we do. And I totally believe in it, Mo. I think when we set our intentions from our heart's purpose, the universe brings the right things together for us. One of my favorite quotes from Paulo Coelho is, the, you know, in The Alchemist, if you read it, and anyone who hasn't read The Alchemist should read The Alchemist. When you know your life's purpose, the universe conspires to make it happen. And I, I am actually a huge believer that this actually is the case, that somehow most of the big upturns in my life, you know, the things that really define me, were at moments where I was like, okay, I, I think I need to go in that direction or I think I can be more helpful if I do A, B, or C. And then somehow you want to call it luck, you want to call it fate, you want to call it manifestation, I don't know, but basically something happens. And so you start in another person's business, not in your dad's business. Yeah. And how did you get there from being your own entrepreneur? So... I worked my way up from graduate to international fashion buyer for this store, and I was buying designer collections from all over the world. It was a job that, you know, so many people... That is fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was... Um, it's actually quite a serious job. I think it's less fun than people think because it's very numbers orientated. You're only as good as what you bought last season. You're controlling a budget of multi-million, hundreds of millions of pounds, depending on where you're working. And as an international fashion buyer, your job is to pick the products that sell and also to be always thinking, what's next? What's next? This was fun for me because it's my, my passion my joy is people and it's the customer and it's what we as people want next. So what I loved about my job was being able to create the trends and always look ahead. What's next? So I would introduce things like skinny jeans for men before they were a thing. I was traveling to Berlin and launching Acne Studios. There's still not a thing for me, just so that we... <laughs> yeah. 
I know it's not a thing. I know it's not a thing for you. But whatever trends were there, I was always like looking ahead and it was really cool. And then I started to see, I saw the onset of fast luxury, which we now also fast in everything we buy. And this was like 2005, 2006. And I was seeing like the season speeding up, the quality changing more and more. Everybody wanted us to buy more and more each collection. And they were saying, you know, this color, this season, it's a new green. And I was like, what was wrong with last year's green? So I started to feel this wasn't right. And this is where purpose comes into it. My heart was starting to go, no, I was starting to feel not fulfilled because I kind of felt I wasn't making a difference. I was part of a machine and I was buying these collections. It wasn't bringing me joy. And I didn't feel that giving the customer always more was necessarily the right thing. So I said to my director, I think we should be introducing sustainable collections, organic collections, upcycled collections, and innovating this store for a new era. She agreed, we did it, they sold out. But this was only a tiny part of my big budget that I was responsible for, probably 1% out of my 100%. And I just felt I wasn't making a difference. And I became more and more demoralized. And, you know, solve for happy. That's what it's really about, is your life, finding your joy, finding your purpose. And I wasn't finding it there. I started out feeling so joyful and purposeful. But seven years later, I didn't feel it. So I looked around me, Mo, you know, my background is the fashion industry. That's where all my learning comes from. I looked around me and I was like, this isn't impactful. This isn't good. This isn't right. How can you sell a designer object and have it made in a country of manufacturing that isn't a quality country? I just knew things had to change. And I didn't see it happening within my industry. So I decided to become a conscious innovator. So what's a conscious innovator? Is someone who looks around at what we buy, what we make, everything that we do, no matter your industry, you can be a conscious innovator and just look at something with a fresh pair of eyes and go, how can we do this differently? How can we make this differently? How can we make something so it's actually impactful in a good way, in a positive way for the environment, for people, for everybody who works in the company, for the customers who buy it, and for ourselves as entrepreneurs. That's a conscious innovator. So I left my job and I'd become a kind of, I'm a bit of a geek and I, I love, <laughs> I love the, the technical side of how we make things. And so I'd become a bit of a, a geek about denim. As a, as a buyer, I was buying all sorts of denim collections and I became an expert in denim. So pair of jeans, there's so much that goes into a pair of jeans. And in many ways, they're very unsustainable in the water that's made to make jeans, in the cotton, in the dyeing process. So I said, how about if we could re-engineer and consciously innovate a pair of jeans from the ground up and remake them for a new conscious era? So that's what I did as my first step. Can I stop you there? I think this, this is a very important side of the conversation. But before you go there, I really am quite curious. If someone's business sells out, 
when they do conscious work. Why does the industry continue to stay away from that? I mean, you said 1% of your business was in conscious products, if you want, and the 99 were not. Why is that? Why would you not introduce that? Because everything we make, all industries, so whether it has been the fashion industry, the beauty industry, all industries have been running in a certain way as machines with mass manufacturing, mass seasons, mass ways of operating. And it actually comes from, I think a lot of the time, like the financial people running the organizations have got these businesses running for profit rather than running for profit and purpose. So that way for running for profit was buy more, buy more, buy more, was made in the way to make the most profit. So- Uh Things have been done unconsciously in every part of industries. So fabrics, no one was, so if you take the fashion industry, no one was looking at fabrics. What's in a fabric? What's the chemicals in a fabric? What's the cotton in a fabric? What's the sustainable process in each part of the fabric? How are the farmers who actually farm the cotton? How are they paid? Is it sustainable? Can they have a living wage out of it? Through to actually, what's the design of this garment? Is it something that's going to last forever? And what's the seasons? What's the collection? So in every part of the industry, it was it was geared towards a thinking of like optimizing sales and optimizing people to buy more and more and more. Now, this is going back to 2005. Right now in 2021, sustainability is the top of the agenda for the fashion industry, for the beauty industry and beyond, across every industry. Why? Because the consumer is driving it today in 2021. They're saying we don't need more, we need meaning increasingly. But back then, businesses were operating solely just to make profit and churn out product. And today, now all of the industries, I'm asked to speak on sustainable panels about this issue. All of the industries are having to look at themselves with 360 eyes and go, how on earth do we re-engineer what we're doing to do it differently? So that's the answer because everything needs to change from how it has been being done, which is unconsciously, to today to do it differently and do it consciously. And this is easier for entrepreneurs creating businesses but their challenge is how do you actually scale it but it's harder for traditional businesses to go how do we actually innovate I mean it's not to be honest it's not hard if I can do it they can do it it just it takes like really looking at something pulling it apart reimagining it and putting it back together again in a new way I want to come back to meaning but I'll tell you very openly I mean The way I choose my fashion is for simplicity. I actually don't know which exact black t-shirt I'm wearing today. They are eight identical ones. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever. You know, my, my two pairs of jeans, probably I'm the only one in the world that can tell them apart. And I actually have to tell you quite openly that this simplifies my life tremendously. And I, you know, being a fashion expert, I have to ask you why? Why do we like, I mean, of course, I know that it's in part of the human psyche that we want change and 
fashion is a big statement as well, you know, part of the human psyche is ego. How did they convince us to buy so much? How did they convince us that green from last year is not the green that we want this year? It's always black for me. It's been black for years. This is it. You're ahead of your time, Mo. <laughs> no, not probably not in fashion. I can guarantee you that. I think you are in the sense of what you're saying and your messages is something that's coming about now. People are becoming more conscious and simplifying their lives and actually asking themselves the question you're asking, do I need all this? Isn't it better just to have a simplified wardrobe? Now, how did they convince us? Your question is a brilliant one. It's happened since the 1950s. This is when real mass consumerism really started to take off. And it's been a real subtle programming of the global marketing agencies. They have, over time, since the 50s, been sending us subconscious messages saying it started like dishwashing machines in the 1950s, that keeping up with the Joneses, it was a famous phrase, buy this dishwashing machine and you're going to have the dream lifestyle. Then Ralph Lauren would take that forward in big advertising campaigns and show the American dream, buy this Ralph Lauren wardrobe and you're going to live the American dream lifestyle. It was really incredibly subtle and it's become more and more subtle and speeded up over the course between the 1950s to now. So what was happening, all the designer companies, and not just designer, every level was saying, buy this to have that status. So they were absolutely leading us with the ego mind, as you say, and very subtly brainwashing people that to feel worthy, you had to buy the latest item. To feel worthy, you had to buy the latest designer handbag. And it's a real thing. Uh, It's a real problem. And in the last, I would say I noticed it before COVID, in the last year before COVID started, even six months, I noticed that my industry, people were waking up in the fashion industry background. People were waking up and consumers were going, I don't I don't need more. They were starting to realize that buying something didn't give you the happiness or the joy. But it was a very subtle awakening that was happening. Do you think COVID and the the lockdown is going to accelerate that? I mean, most people have been in their pajamas. Yeah. No, it's accelerated it humongously. It's accelerated. And I'm so excited about that change because... According to McKinsey, two-thirds of the world's consumers care more about climate change now than they did pre-COVID, and that is a representation of the global mood. Climate change, you know, is an element of how do you translate that to what we buy. People have been asking themselves questions. Everyone's been in their home, as you say, in pyjamas for a year, looking at their wardrobe, looking at everything they buy, looking at all the packaging coming in, the Amazon deliveries, looking at everything they eat, everything they wear, everything in their home, and having the time out to actually stop and ask themselves the conscious questions. Do I love this? Does it bring me joy? What do I think of all this packaging? How do I want to live? What do I want to eat? What do I want for a healthy body? How do I want to dress? Do I really need another anything? Everyone actually had the time to stop off the treadmill of life that we've been leading without knowing it and take a moment and go, 
ask themselves all these really great questions. So absolutely, everything has changed. It's just speeded up the change. Probably what's happened in one year would have happened in 10 years. Do you think they'll go back? Do you think when the lockdown is removed from the UK, for example, I, I know that April 12th, the pubs are open. Do you think everyone will just rush back like pre-COVID and fill the pubs up? Yeah, for sure. Some people will go backwards, but a greater and greater number of people will go forwards. Mm, I love that optimistic view. Yeah, because there's been a monumental shift. I think people will go back, but what we're going to increasingly see, I feel, is a bigger and bigger gap, a bigger and bigger divergence between people making a, a conscious switch I'm not saying it's going to be for everybody, but I'm saying increasingly, you know, and you look, the world is becoming more and more niched, like into mini groups, mini segments, people creating mini movements, people wanting to seek out the people they belong to. And I just think there's going to be a bigger and bigger gap between people living unconsciously and people living consciously and wanting to make a difference and make the world a better place in cross age groups. I think this is an, an amazing message here. Like, again, you know, when I started Slow Mo, one of the very first videos I released was a compilation of, say, the first 25 episodes or something, which was all about what choice will you make? What will be your new normal? And I think, you know, we got back into lockdown two and lockdown three. And, and I think now we're coming out again. And it's really a question of are you going to create that conscious switch? Are you, like you said, you know, are you going to switch that mode of what you discovered and reflected on and say to yourself, perhaps I don't need to jump back on the treadmill again. And I think that really makes a big difference. But I totally agree with you. And I think that comes from joy, from your heart, from, mm. you know, I know, say in every level, how we were living, going to pubs, going to restaurants, doing things blindly for the sake of it haven't brought people as much joy. They've done things for the sake of it because they feel they have to go to a pub, go for a meal, not because necessarily they want to. And I think having this time out has enabled people to think, what actually brings me joy? So when they go forward now, they'll go increasingly out for a restaurant because they want to with their real friends. Like when we went out for our beautiful meal, the Turkish meal with, I was so privileged to go and meet you with your great friends. And they were friends from that brought you joy, meaningful friendships, meaningful relationships. I think this has been the shifting point, this breaking away from meaning less to moving forward from a place of meaning. And, you know, yes, some people will go backwards, as we said, but it's, it comes to that they'll go backwards, but they'll be saying, actually, I'm here. And does this make me feel happy? I know a lot of people are feeling anxious I know about yeah, going sure. out, yeah. going out into the world again for this very reason. And I know what, speaking to friends between the two lockdowns, when things started to open up, the restaurants started to open up and girlfriends going to restaurants and going, I felt totally anxious because I was in this place and it was all the scene and the people, but I was like, oh my gosh, does this bring me happiness or joy? And they were feeling anxious because they were at a conflict. We're anxious when inner self is saying no, and it wants us to get away from something, not 
because of necessarily fight or flight, because of the actual inner self telling us the real message. It's saying that doesn't bring me joy. I want you to do something different. I love that question. I really, really love that question. My daughter has the weirdest way of teaching me things. And, you know, in my very busy life, she showed me a show on Netflix, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, I think. Yes, yes, Marie Kondo. Yeah, and her entire show, you know, with her beautifully respectful way and her Japanese accent was, does this bring you joy? Why would you have anything in your life that doesn't bring you joy? And I think that's a very, very key question. You're a great example of that. So you leave a job that everyone is dreaming of. Like if you're in the fashion industry, you're British, it's Harvey Nichols. This is it. It's like, you know, I'm, I am the top buyer of the top fashion for the top crazy people that spend the top monies on anything, right? Now you decide to leave all of that behind and you start a denim brand. So tell us about the brand. First of all, tell us what it is so that everyone buys one. But no, but tell us what it is and how it worked. And, you know, you reinvented the design from the ground up. Tell us about that, but also tell us about how it made you feel. You know, what was that process like? How can we encourage others to make such choices? So this brand, it doesn't exist today. It was from, I had this brand from 2006 to 2008. And it was my first step into being a, an impact entrepreneur. And this is the thing. I feel it was like... You're not going to buy one. All right. No, not today, but let's see what the future holds. Because actually, I was just asked last week by a global brand, one of the biggest brands that we all know, if I still made this collection because they want this collection for their global consumers who are more conscious. So there, there we you go. go. So this has been, my journey has been literally, Mo, like taking the, is it they say in the matrix, whichever pill it was, the red pill or the blue pill. You want the red pill. The red pill is the one that wakes you up. The red pill. And on that note, by the way, for anyone who hasn't done his homework by watching the metrics once a quarter, go and do your homework to remember that it's the red pill. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so taking the red pill, taking the step into a conscious life was the only choice for me because my soul said, you've got to jump, but it was the hard choice. And it's been the hard road, the difficult road, but I would never have chosen a different road because it's brought me, it's brought me the meaning in my life. And I just could not have lived another way. So this first step I left my job and I said, okay, let's reimagine a pair of jeans and how can we innovate this for a totally new era? So I broke down a pair of jeans and I started with the cotton. I was like, okay, let's get organic cotton. That's great because we know it will, will be made well without pesticides. It will be really good for our skin and for the world. And then I was like, I started to hear about how unethical the cotton industry is so there's two sides to making impact, the environment and people, and then ourselves and who works within our companies. It's the different sides. But from the ethical point of view of cotton, there are many farmers that they just earn a subsistence living by farming cotton, which means they can only eat and live. They can't send their children to school. They can't better their lives. They can't make an improvement. And I thought that was really bad. So I combined using organic cotton 
with fair trade cotton, which means that the farmers get a really good earning for what they actually sow and they can progress their life. Then I was like, okay, great. But how about how a gene is dyed? Because genes are dyed using chemicals and chemical indigo, whereas genes originally started from the plant of indigo, natural indigo dyeing. So I was like, let's find some, there must be people still doing natural indigo dyeing by hand. And I found in India, traveled to India, to a center created by Gandhi himself called Gandhigram, was still using natural indigo dyeing with artisans there. And I asked if my technical teams could show them how to do this for cotton that we would use for a pair of jeans. And the result was that we worked with 50 artisans. We upskilled them to do this dyeing process in a more technical way to make it viable to make a pair of jeans. And then I said, okay, what's the next part? You can't just take the cotton that's dyed and then weave it using machines because that won't be sustainable or good for the world. So we found hand loom weavers in Southern India as well, but they exist all over India. They create lungis, like the traditional fabric on hand looms. They're still, it's a massive industry still, and they're paid not very much money for what they make. We upskilled them to make denim fabric. We, again, we work with clusters of artisans, probably around 50 as well. So a hundred artisans in total in the process. We enabled them to make much more sophisticated fabric that they charged like about $10 per meter for this fabric. So massive difference from what they were making before. And the brilliant thing about handling weaving is that they are able to live in their villages and make it locally rather than having to travel to cities and work in big factories. So we made this amazing fabric. And then I was like, okay, let's find the best denim maker. They were in Italy. I asked them if they would make for me. I was a startup. They were so impressed by the technical engineering that we'd done in the fabric development. They were like, we will work with you. We will find you the best people to work for you, to help you. And they were amazing. They're a company called Martelli who make for brands like Ivisu. So they made my jeans. We carbon offset them on the way. And that was the first part of the process. I made what I call a hero product. But then I found in the world of impact, in the world of conscious business, doing things differently. As you rightfully said earlier, Mo, people buy on ego. Ego is such a huge part of our industry and everything we've known. So it's like, how do you transition the message? So I found that this is the next difficult part. What do you say? So what I did, I tried, I struggled. I tried to sell the jeans. They were an amazing product, but I, my dream was to get them bought by all the best stores and worn by celebrities. I was like struggling. Why? Because I was saying they're ethical, sustainable, handmade, made by artisans, so many different messages. So what I found out was simplification of your message and being where the market is, what I say now. So you've got to, when you're doing something different, wrap it up in a way that's familiar. So when I learned this, I was able to go to the market with one message. I said they're handmade and sustainable. Then I got them bought by the world's best stores. I had Claudia Schiffer wearing the jeans. I won Grazi Magazine's award for Fashion Entrepreneur of the Year for this very reason of being able to do something different and innovative, but make it familiar to enable the world's consumer to buy it. And that's what I did in a really short amount of time. That was the journey. That is an incredible journey. I heard you say 
the tiniest details, like I carbon offset them as I ship them from Italy, I did this. Were these like a $1,000 a pair or what? No, they were the same price as a designer pair of jeans. Which is amazing. So I don't want you to tell me how much, but that's the whole point. That, that designer pair of jeans cost them like what? $10 to make, $20 to make? And the, the idea of paying the incredibly high price is okay for a lot of celebrities and rich people and so on. But the question really, is there any value in this? You've, you've created a life for a hundred people. You've created a, you've re-engineered the way something was done in a more sustainable way. You've helped the farmers, you carbon offset your product. Now you still made profit, didn't you? And I, I think that's really what puzzles me about the world. I mean, the question becomes, I say that with a ton of respect. We chose Harvey Nichols uh, as your start of the conversation. You know, I worked in lots of corporates and believe it or not, a big part of that incredible hunger for profits is because we have so many people doing things that are not even needed or necessary that are really, really harmful for the planet. And we have to pay all of these. So we have to make enormous profits and we have to be on the stock market. And so we have to even make more profits and they have to grow every quarter. And there is something wrong with all of this that that each of us should stop and question, if you ask me. You know, each of us should say, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing something different? Were these the best two years of your life? Like, this is an amazing journey. No, because now is the best years of my life. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> but then it was the first time of my life that was the best two years of my life, 100%. I was so happy, Mo. I was like, I found my purpose. I found my meaning. This is amazing. I've innovated this whole new area. I've been able to have a direct positive impact on 100 artisans and make a real difference. It was an amazing part of the journey. And then you moved on from this to do what? So I moved on from there. Well, what happened was the financial crash happened. So Ah. my collection was stocked in all these great stores. And overnight, the buying changed. And overnight, all these great stores, the buyers were told, stick with the big brands, stick with the big brands. And the market just died. And all the buyers pulled out of like smaller brands at that point. So this was really painful for me because I had to close the business because at that point there was no what I call direct to consumer option. There was no social media, particularly not in the way that it is today that a business owner can actually create their own market, which is a key part of what I I teach people today because I went through this journey myself. So overnight I had to close that business And it broke my heart because I didn't have the places to sell the collection. So then I went back into industry and I reinvigorated the high street and I ran a hundred million pounds worth of business as a head buyer for a high street business, which is called River Island. And I did the same thing. I showed them how to make slow fashion, high quality collections. I upskilled their workers on a mass level so not their workers so imagine the producers of their collections I showed them how to make higher quality items so again every level of the business could earn more money from it from the manufacturers through to 
the end product. And I created slow fashion products that were timeless rather than high fashion products that were just churning and burning. So I, again, had a great impact there. But after three years there, the same thing happened to me that my soul knew my purpose was to make this big impact in the world using this skill in product innovation. And I knew that I had to go back and be an impact entrepreneur again with more knowledge, more skill. It is a bug, isn't it? So today you teach others and you keep saying, you keep using the word meaning. And I have to say, I don't know the meaning of the word meaning. What do you mean by that? What is it? I feel there is a very strong difference, big difference between the East and the West, where the West always sets meaning, targets, destinations. And the East says, live now. What is meaning? Why do we chase something? Why does it matter what it is that we do? This is a rhetorical question, by the way. For me, I take meaning as what's the point? What's the purpose? What's the... It's more about feeling. What's the point? What was the impact that this had? What was the positivity that anything that we buy, anything that we do, what's the point of it? Because I believe that we're here to grow, to serve the world, to do good for the world. Some people may say that what's the point in denim to start? You know, you could wear two orange robes and and you'll be fine, right? So I, I find the idea of, of reflecting to see what it is that we actually need at all yeah. is probably what the, what the journey is all about. Yeah, I agree with you, 100%. So I mean meaning by, you know, we've been living this life, like we said, from the 1950s of mass consumerism, buying, 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 buying without thinking about what we're buying. And I think what we buy is an amazing thing because imagine at scale, if we all just turned everything we bought to be conscious, how much of a positive impact we could have in the world. So I totally agree with you. There's questions. Do we need all the things that we have been buying? One question. But imagine we buy toothbrushes And yesterday I bought a sustainable toothbrush, a wooden toothbrush. This choice that you can switch from plastic toothbrushes to wooden toothbrushes and you have to buy those things. Your black t-shirts can be like organic. They can be fair trade. You have to buy them. You have to wear them because you have to wear something. So it's about the choices that we make. And when we, the choices, when we make them more meaningful, they fill our soul with more joy. That's what I mean. I find that to be an incredible place to end, but I don't want to end because I want to ask another question. So you seem to have a very holistic view. It's the worker, it's the earth, it's the consumer, it's the buyer, it's the seller, it's the story. You're always trying to get everyone to benefit, everyone to to win. Isn't that difficult sometimes? Are those things not contradictory? I mean, in an interesting way, when you bought a sustainable toothbrush, a wooden toothbrush, you bought a one less plastic toothbrush, which was also made by someone, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So from one side you're adding, and from the other side there is an economic model that we're living through that's sustaining the lives of so many people, even if it's doing wrong. How do you make it all fit together? How does that work? The thing is, I think what's really important to say is that 
in this whole area of sustainable, conscious, doing right, doing wrong, there's so many things that hold people back from making progress because they're worried about these questions. They're worried about not being perfect enough, not being good enough, not being sustainable enough, not being anything enough. Now, what we need to just recognize is that the world's been operating in one way for a long time. And what I'm saying today is to just make a change, make a shift to take the best of the past, couple it with everything that we know now that can create a positive impact and to create a new holistic future. I'm not saying no to anything that we have been doing. I'm just saying we can go forward with a new awareness in innovation to take the best of the past, but also make it in a holistic way that's good for the people and good for the planet. And to do that in a step-by-step process, as you said, you can't take one thing away and just say, no, that's bad. So create a negative impact here where you actually destroy someone's job because of switching things over. You can take people forward with you and and step-by-step change things, which is what the business owners are looking at today from every level. So from someone who's an entrepreneur listening to this to someone who's a big business founder listening to this, it's like the world's consumer is speaking. Increasingly, they're making decisions themselves and for a more conscious choice. So big businesses, they can make the changes to carry their workforce with them and their consumer with them. And the same as entrepreneurs. I think that's an amazing way to do it. If one of our listeners today, Sarah, is hesitating, they feel what you felt. They think that their work doesn't really have meaning, but they are not courageous enough or crazy enough about what they want to do like you were, right? What would you tell them? This whole now, what, 15 years experience, it wasn't always ups. It was ups and downs and challenges and fun and creativity and sometimes, um, you know, the world pushing back. Would you do it again? Completely. I, I spoke to my dad earlier today and um, I said to him, I'm so excited because, you know, it's been such a challenging 15 years. But I followed, as you said earlier, Mo, I followed that you you feel with your life, that you followed your intuition. I followed my intuition every step of the way. And my intuition was right. The conscious revolution, whatever we want to call it, some people are calling it the fifth industrial revolution. Some people are calling it the impact revolution. Whatever we want to call it, there is a shift that business going forward is not going to be just for profit. It's going to be how much of humanity do you impact? This is a fact. It's a fact. It is here. So I feel really happy that my intuition led me to that place all along. The journey was not easy. No, it's never easy. And every day I face fear and I do it anyway. But I wouldn't change it because it gives me such growth, such happiness, such joy. And that's the reason why we're here, I believe. I think you believe right. I think there is nothing in life worth living for other than actually living for your dream, living for what you believe in, living for what your intuition is telling you to do, where your heart wants to go. And if you combine that with making it good for the world, 
man, you've hit the jackpot. And I think like the first time we met, once again, I'm inspired totally. I think, I think this is a very interesting message as we go back into the world to ask ourselves, what is our meaning? I'm so grateful for your time, Sarah. I think it's been a wonderful conversation. I'm so grateful for what you do and for speaking so passionately about it. And I hope this changes the lives of quite a few. Thank you, Mo. Thank you very, very much for inviting me here today. It's been a real honor and a real pleasure. And I'm very grateful to you too. Well, I can only leave you with one thought after this conversation, which is what is your dream? How can you find your hero product? How can you find a way to live a life of meaning, not a life of more? And I think that's a question that is extremely timely for all of us. As uh, the world shows more and more signs that the hamster wheel is going to get back in motion. So uh, with that in mind, reflect and choose, even if your choices are the simple choices of, will I go back to my old way of life? As always, I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity that you give me to have so many wonderful conversations, insightful, inspiring, educational, eye-opening, I hope that you're enjoying this as much as I am. Keep spreading the message. Help me reach more people. It's not difficult, not a big effort on your side. If you like a conversation, share it on social media. Tell your friends about Slow Mo and ask them to spare the time and slow down with us. And uh, rate the podcast five stars if you can on Apple Podcasts. That makes the biggest difference in terms of helping us reach more and more listeners, but also helping my small team and I reach to the top speakers and top thinkers in the world. We've been doing very, very, very well. Thank you so much for all the support. We've been feeling really, really over the moon because of all your kind messages. Continue to stay in touch. I'm Mo underscore Gaudet on Instagram, Mo Gaudet on LinkedIn, M Gaudet on Twitter, and Mo.Gaudet.Official on Facebook. Send me recommendations, send me ideas, tell me what I'm doing wrong and how can I fix it. Tell me what I'm doing wrong and what you want to hear more of. And um, remember, every day, regardless of how much you have to do, there's always, always, always some time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I'll see you next time.